0: But that was really
1: 1981 Rock
2: What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the film, The Ventures, Stars on Guitars. You are listening to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast for people who love music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And now, on to the show. My guests today are the filmmaking team of Dan Geller and Dana Goldfein. They're the directors of an in-depth documentary called Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, A Journey, A Song. I've been a longtime fan of Leonard Cohen, especially his songs from the late 60s and early 70s, like Chelsea Hotel No. 2, Famous Blue Raincoat, and, of course, one of his most beautiful love songs, So Long, Marianne. Uh, There was a documentary about that song called Words of Love that I watched and enjoyed, but I wasn't completely satisfied. That's not the case with Hallelujah, a journey as song. It really goes in-depth and answers the questions I didn't even know I had. So, welcome to the show, Dan and Dana. What brought you to this project? Uh, It's such a massive undertaking, and what made you want to do it? I have to say... We were blessed with the gift of not knowing
0: it was as going to be as massive an undertaking. <laughs> it's best not to really know when you put your foot into a project. That's true with all our
1: films, actually. <laughs>
0: it's true. It's true. I think if we had known even one aspect of how hard it would have been to clear the rights to that song, we might not have done it. Um, but but the initial seed came from a, a dinner table conversation that we had eight years ago, um, where the film writer and critic David Thompson just tossed out, this notion and asked this question you know do you think it's possible to do an entire documentary about a song and we weren't initially convinced um, the idea seemed kind of odd but within about I don't know 10 minutes uh, this image of Leonard Cohen singing hallelujah at the Oakland um, at the Paramount Theatre in Oakland, California during two of his last, tour last concerts you know from that five-year victory march tour around the world um between 2008 and 2013 the image of leonard cohen getting down on his knees as he began singing hallelujah was just this indelible i don't know it, it i couldn't stop thinking of it um and it certainly came flooding back as david asked that question and i turned to dan and i said dan i think i know the song and i think i know the artist we, we could Do hallelujah and we could do leonard cohen
1: All all our films really have been about uh the the process either of someone becoming their full selves or artistic process in the case of several of the movies so at first my thought is well you know talk about a song where's where's the where's the human development where's the character development in that because that primarily been what I've been interested in as a filmmaker, finding the evolution of somebody's story or a group of people in Ballet Russe or in there's a Dora movie, one person, Ballet Russe, a group of people. It's so I, at first, I was scratching my head a little bit about, you know, would I, would, would I really be interested in a thing about a song? But when we got hold of Alan Light's book after a quick little Google search about Leonard Cohen, Jeff Buckley the unlikely ascent of Hallelujah. And even in Alan Light's book, you could see a, a, a portrait of Leonard as the spiritual seeker and, and the evolving uh, poet songwriter. Then I thought, okay, now, now this, it's clear that this song is not just any song. It's a song that will allow a, a deep dive into the person who wrote it and his preoccupations throughout his entire life. And that, then I was hooked.
2: Yeah, I think it's very interesting how you do show the evolution of the human being along with the evolution of the song. Um, I've been a fan of his for years, and um, Hallelujah is not really my favorite song of his. I love some of his earlier stuff like Suzanne or Chelsea Hotel Number 2. So it's really interesting that you chose that song, and so many other people have glommed onto it, like John Cale and, like you said, Jeff Buckley, even Bob Dylan, who doesn't really do covers that much. Um, what do you, what does that song mean to you each personally? Well, it's such a rich
0: exploration of so many, um, both spiritual and carnal. I mean, Brandy Carlisle says it really well in the film. She said it. You know, it takes um, something that's so basic, um, you know, human carnality, spiritual, uh, uh, sexuality, things that are really you know gritty and down to earth, and it it melds it with something that is very difficult to fully plumb which is this spirituality or vice versa (laughs) and I I think that that's why that song I never tired of it even after you know spending eight years deeply involved in this project Uh, it's just so rich every single verse um enters takes you into a new world
1: they're they're also at the root of of comedy uh of jewish comedy um is an absurdist streak um and also uh, that jewish tradition of uh being the butt of pogroms of persecutions uh of of being cast into the desert (laughs) that there is uh a lineage of suffering that is dealt with often uh with humor uh with a, a, a absurdist perverse ironic sense of humor and hallelujah if you look at a lot of those lyrics is uh, laced with incredible humor it's sharp humor it's it's not an easy joke humor but i think part of my attraction to that song uh, and it's only a part of it is this uh deeply absurdist jewish humor that's laced into it uh and that i don't know many other songs that other than out, out and out comedy songs that are able to uh, incorporate that, especially in the midst of a song that has such deeply, deadly serious preoccupation.
0: Well, the other thing, I, it's interesting that you mentioned his earlier work like Suzanne and Chelsea Hotel number two, uh, we felt like in order to fully understand Hallelujah, um, you needed to understand Leonard Cohen in. in all of his complicated essence. Mm-hmm. And that to really understand an artist like that and get at the the gist of, of, of Hallelujah and, that, and the writing of that song, you needed to understand like, who was that man who wrote that song? And why was he the only man that in the entire universe or the only person in the entire universe that could have come up with a song like Hallelujah? And, and it, 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 it struck us pretty early on that you needed to look at other parts of his body of work and so in fact although the song hallelujah makes up half the half the music time in the film there's 22 other leonard cohen compositions that do start from suzanne and do work their way all the way through his last album
2: yeah i really enjoyed that i feel like you really presented a well-rounded portrait um and you got some really fantastic interviewees uh you know you've got Clive Davis, and you've got producers that worked with him and journalists, the journalists that interviewed him throughout his life, Judy Collins. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the process of securing those interviewees and uh, how long did it take to make the film?
0: So we approached Leonard and his manager, Robert Corey, in the summer of 2014 with a very succinct little note, um, basically asking for Leonard's tacit approval. um, Were we to take Alan Light's um, book, The Holy or the Broken, and try to make of it uh, a film. And so we got that approval shockingly quickly. Like within two weeks, Leonard had looked at our work and um, agreed that he would give us his tacit blessing, which basically told the world that he wouldn't get in the way of of our doing this project. Um, And he loved the book. So I think that that stood well for us when we said we wanted to adapt it?
1: I think that with Leonard's tacit blessing and Alan's book, which we had optioned, and we departed from the book in many ways, of course, but Alan's book, which we had optioned and Alan's participation in the movie as a consulting producer, once we had all of that, we could go to someone uh, like Hal Wellner, the late Hal Wellner, and enter his uh, network with some credibility to start with, even though we hadn't made a music movie before, um, uh, Alan began to introduce us to other people. So the network, we tapped into a network that already existed, um, and both Hal Wilner and, uh, Alan Light are so well-respected, uh, that it was easy for them to begin to connect us to these other people. So it was, it was actually pretty easy for the most part, um, to gain people's interest for those interviews. It oh. wasn't so simple as uh, finding time for them uh, when they weren't on the road and they weren't in a recording studio and they weren't completely exhausted from both. To, to <laughs> right. so it, it, it took a while, but we got them and everybody we interviewed was so generous with their time and so thoughtful with what their responses were.
0: And, you know, things lead to things, interviews lead to other interviews um, as you start these kinds of um big documentary projects, Uh, and if you're patient and you're willing to let them span years, you can actually take advantage of, you know, like we were interviewing Judy Collins and at the end of the interview, she turned to us and said, have you by chance spoken with Nancy Bacall? And we said, no. And I think we might've even said, who's Nancy Bacall? And she said, well, you know, Nancy Bacall is his childhood friend. She's like the one person that, you know, he's been friends with not the one person, I'm sure there are others, but he's been friends with her since they were in grade school. Um, She worked with him closely on his collected poems. Um, I will get you in touch with her. We would never have thought of interviewing Nancy and Nancy sheds so much light on Leonard Cohen, the human being and Leonard Cohen, who um, spent quite a bit of his life on spiritual journeys. You know, again, Interviews lead to interviews if you if you are patient and really listen hard.
2: Yeah, well, one of the uh, revelations for me in the film, although I know something about him and, like I said, been listening to his music for years, I knew he had joined a monastery, but I didn't really know what led to that. The the manager who you know embezzled all the money and all that. He kind of touched on that
1: because the focus of the film really was Leonard's journey. Uh, With a journey, you don't want to stop, uh, you know, one place along the way and just stop the journey, you know that it was everything fed into the idea of how, how did Leonard Cohen navigate manage those preoccupations about the, the meaning of his own life, the meaning of human life of its exalted uh, spiritual sense and also the brokenness of the reality of the human condition, uh, and so you it, it, it couldn't stop at any one point for too long because the there were so many wonderful chapters in that search uh, that he conducted throughout his life.
0: Also, just to correct correct one um, possible misconception, so Leonard went to the monastery um, in 1993 not because he had lost his money, but because he was really having great spiritual agony. Um, And he kind of says it. he's like, you know, there's a certain point um, in in my concert uh, tour where I just was like, this isn't working anymore. I, I think I might leave show business behind. And his way of leaving it behind then was to pack a small bag and drive up a few thousand feet um, to this monastery above Los Angeles. And I don't think he knew when he pulled into the parking lot at that monastery sometime in 1993, that he was gonna spend you know, the next five years there, um, but he did. And it wasn't actually until he came down from uh, Mount Baldy, and had actually been down for a couple of years that he discovered that his manager
2: had stolen all of his money. That, but he came back bigger and better than ever, which is great. So I love that uh, also within film. Hallelujah is a hymn, like Amazing Grace, which is a song that's hundreds of years old that we all still know, whether we're religious or not, it's in the zeitgeist. Um, do you feel like Hallelujah will have that same everlasting life?
1: It sure seems headed in that direction. And in fact, we were with some people the other day and uh, uh, this younger woman probably in her mid-20s uh, was talking to me a bit about uh, the song and she was surprised that uh, someone had written it. Uh, it wasn't that, that it was, uh, she thought it was a song that had been around for hundreds of years and one would never know who the author of the song was. So it's, it feels like it's already headed in that direction. And I think because there's something uh, accessible to anyone from whatever background they have, uh, ethnically, spiritually, religiously, nationally, there's something that is open-ended about that song and timeless about that song that it could well be one of these that hangs out there for for hundreds of years. I hope so.
0: You know, and as we've been going, we've been touring the world now since last uh, September, the Labor Day Labor Day weekend when it premiered both in Venice and Telluride. Um, and every place we go, people stop us and tell us stories about their own relationship with that song, which tells me that no matter where you are in the world and what generation um, of person you're speaking with, there's something about that song that resonates for them. It's not always the same thing, but they have these, these connections to, to that song.
2: Yes, and the movie encapsulates that beautifully. So, thank you for making the movie. That's such a great artist and a beautiful song. He did a wonderful job.
1: Thank you thank so much. Thank you. Thank That's you for so lovely to hear. Yeah,
2: thank you for having us on. As always, I'm closing the show with a reading from the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series. This passage is from True Stories, Volume Two, which will be released in the next few months. Soon after checking into the Chelsea Hotel, the site of many a rock and roll ruin, Sid Vicious's girlfriend, Nancy Spungen, checked out. No one knows for sure what happened behind the closed door of suite number 100, but on October 12, 1978, the 20-year-old groupie was found dead with a single stab wound to her abdomen. She was curled underneath the bathroom sink wearing nothing but a black bra and underwear. The blade had been a gift from her to Sid, according to the New York Daily News, but other sources said Sid had bought it for himself because it was similar to one owned by one of his idols, Stiv Baiters of the Dead Boys. Sid was no stranger to blades. His thin torso was scarred by countless self-inflicted cuts. He once used a bare razor blade to carve the words, give me a fix, across his chest just before going on stage in Dallas, Texas. The crime was not initially reported by the drug-addled punker. The Chelsea's front desk clerk got an anonymous call from outside the hotel. The man said, there's trouble in room 100. A bellman was dispatched to check out the situation, but before he returned, another call came in. This time it was from within the storied walls of the historic hotel. More specifically, it came from suite 100. Someone is sick, a different voice reported. Need help. The bellman entered the room, and after pushing his way past a TV set that was blocking the door from the inside, he saw the blood-smeared body of a female lying face up on the bathroom tiles, her head positioned under the sink. A trail of blood led from the pale corpse to the gore-soaked, rumpled bed. Concludes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacy Lane Wilson. The theme song "Out for Blood" is composed and sung by Lars with a Z Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. You can hear the whole track in the horror comedy film Valentine Days, also with a Z. For photos of the guests and show archives please visit the website rockandrollthings.com. That's rock and roll with an N. You can also join the Rock and Roll Nightmares Facebook group or follow us on Instagram at rockandrollnightmaresbooks. That's B-O-O-K-S. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me, and until next time.